um, I'll, I'll, uh, start recording, start recording. Can I say something? Let's talk about, ooh, do I want to bring that up? It's nothing bad, but do I want to bring that up? Oh, oh, guess what, guess hey, what? Hey, 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 let's sit down, let's sit down, let's sit down before he gets active. It's about to get active, it's about to get active. Welcome to the Created for Greatness podcast, hosted by the Strive Initiative and the Pottstown School District. Conversations from students about vision, dreams, aspirations, and thought-provoking ideas. All right, we are back. Today, I was deciding that what are we going to do? Well, not today, for today. I was deciding what are we going to do for an episode? We're going to science. And a lot of what came to mind was in science, a lot of times our our um, attention is focused on, you know, the, the magnificent things that have come out of science and stuff like that. So today we're going to highlight the opposite. We're going to look at the biggest things science have gotten wrong. And trust me, there's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> so... Without further ado, my name is Devin Green, Adam Green, Henry Fetterman, Lily Fetterman, and Mark Ellison III. And we're going to talk about the biggest things science has gotten wrong throughout history. Now, first of all, I want to talk about um, the reasons that science has gotten so many things wrong. Because trust me, there's a lot of them. From Pluto not being a planet to... um, to, well, from Pluto being a planet Thank you. to <laughs> the Earth <laughs> being flat, all right, there's just so many things. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, science depends on inductive reasoning, meaning you're taking um, a lot of specific examples and then you're forming a general rule based off of these specific examples. And science basically says, hey, as long as your general rule fits everything we've seen so far, then cool, works out. But that isn't always the case if you haven't seen literally everything there is possible. So that's that's a limitation of science. And it wasn't until Galileo and my man's Johannes Kepler. 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 It wasn't until those two who basically uh, revolutionized and came up with the scientific method, not as we know now, but a, a, a form of the scientific method to actually standardize and come up with some, some sort of re- results that are um, predictable and accurate that we were able to um, be more sure of our scientific discoveries and with less mistakes. So, first of all, we want to talk about, well, we want to shift gears to my boy Aristotle. Oh, my goodness. Aristotle. <laughs> my boy Aristotle, he has had a lot of uh, controversial opinions, all right? But nonetheless, he was great for his time. Yeah. He was a revolutionary thinker. Yeah, he was one of the best thinkers at the time. And even modern day, we still look at Aristotle and, and say, wow, this dude was maybe just a little bit ahead of his time. Yeah. He, <laughs> maybe he, just a little. Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> he was a little bit ahead of his time. But he was also 
wrong about a lot of things. Yeah. One thing being um, he believed in spontaneous generation. All right. What is spontaneous generation? Spontaneous generation is the idea that life can almost in a alchemic uh, way, life can just come about from from uh, non-living matter. That could be just just literally rags. He he thought that if you left out rags and and uh and like wet rags near your bread, that then rats would form out of those wet rags and eat your bread. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, that like. <laughs> the idea of a rag eating your bread, I think, is the the best image in my head for me. Yeah, it, it's beautiful. <laughs> and the thing is, you you look back and you think from his perspective back then, right? The specific examples that he was uh, provided with was that he just he just you know have some bread out. He have some wet rags next to him. He'd leave for a bit, then he'd come back. And the bread's gone. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shoot. Wait, but was the rag still there? I don't know about that. But <laughs> you'd have to ask my guy Aristotle. Uh, he, he also cited many other examples, such as, um, such as fish suddenly appearing in new bodies of water. Right, A newly formed lake. He'd see tadpoles and, and other fish along there. And he'd be like... They weren't there two weeks ago. They must have spontaneously came into creation. Yeah, that kind of like reminds me of like the baby phase of eels. I know me and Lily had this conversation. Mm. How we just did not know. I don't. Do, I think we recently. We still don't know. How, we don't know how eels are formed. <laughs> like we don't know the. We don't know if they come from eggs. We don't know if they're live birth. And that, it's like it's wild. Just, they just appear. <laughs> so Aristotle might be right on that. We <laughs> don't just know. For eels. <laughs> we don't know. Maybe only eels are the ones that spontaneously create. And I think it was the Greeks. It was some Mediterranean uh, culture that thought they came from the mud. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember that. I think it would make sense that it was the Greeks hearing this. One. I mean, we can't. We can't knock them. Like right. <laughs> We still don't it's, know. It's, it's possible. <laughs> yeah. One Dang. part I like about Aristotle's uh, sort of idea is that he sort of used the, the idea that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. He's he's sort of saying that transformations occur. occur yeah. Which, which I kind of like because that is partially true. Another form of uh, spontaneous generation, or they, he'd say equivocal generation as well where he'd say look you have to have the the things present to make a rat even if it was a, a rag mm -hmm. <laughs> but that same amount of matter has to be present in order to create that thing as long as it had what he called uh I, sorry if i butchered the the pronouncing an enunciation but uh numa or p n e u m a Numa, yeah. Numa, uh, which basically he said was the vital heat required for making a life. 
So th- this really, you know, goes to show. And, and keep in mind, right, when he brought this up, it was, it was a long time ago, and yeah. it persisted all the way up until the 17th century, <laughs> where people believed that life could just spontaneously generate. And it wasn't until 1668 when my boy Francesco Reddy, an Italian f- physicist, basically said, I don't believe this. And at the time, the main theory also, uh, one of the main theories was that maggots would show up on your meat because if you have wet meat and you leave it exposed to air, then maggots just form. And so my boy uh, Reddy said, okay, I'll do an experiment on that. And he took uh, two containers of meat, sealed it off so that uh, no flies could get to him. And then he left two uh, slabs of meat out in the open. And surprisingly enough, no maggots appeared on the you know sealed off meat and maggots appeared on the raw, open <laughs> to the air meat. And it was only then in 1668 that it was decided that um that things don't just spontaneously create out of thin air you have to think like calculus was formed before <laughs> spontaneous life was disproven it's insane it's absolutely insane and i think it's even more insane that it was just not questioned i'm sure right. there were people that questioned it but i guess there weren't enough people it that was the norm <laughs> exactly and that's one of those things that are just you know so so crazy to think of that as long as in science because of the way science is is made its biggest strength being its adaptability is also its biggest weakness that being hey it you know we as long as prior evidence supports it cool you can basically claim anything. Um, but shifting gears, I'd like to talk about how um, another crazy uh, another crazy theory was one that was still still put up on a pedestal, even in some parts of the world today. And that's the fact that um, different races are somehow, like subspecies of humans. And this was thought to be scientifically backed for centuries. And from an, from an outside perspective. Like a non-human perspective? Yeah, from an alien looking down at Earth perspective? Yeah. You could, you could kind of see, like, you know, they look physically different. But when you actually go from a skeletal, skeletal perspective, everything is literally the same. Exactly. There is no difference. And it was thought that, you know, uh, of course, from the European mind, it was thought that the the lighter your skin, the higher up on this um, breeding hierarchy you are, and the darker your skin, the lower subspecies of human you are, the closer you are to a Neanderthal. And I'm sure they had people like Aristotle backing that information, just like... Theory. I would up. not be surprised. I mean, most of the 
white world backed that theory. And it was used as an excuse, of course, to discriminate and to enslave. And basically, you know, anything that would be degrading on a humanitarian level was said, hey, they're not even real humans. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you say like uh, closer to like a, an actual subspecies of humans like Neanderthal because the European um, continent and that entirety is more closely related to Neanderthals exactly. than anybody in Africa. Exactly. So it it really shows how when you take science and you uh, and you combine it with an agenda that you want to want it to back and a huge case of confirmation bias, yeah, then you can come to any conclusion that you want. Which is why it's imperative that we keep uh, things impartial and keep things. Um, clear and re replicatable for future experiments. In fact, going deeper into that, they thought there were the the biggest uh, idea was that there were five different races or breeds humans. Interesting. It was uh, Europeans, Asians, Africans, Oceania, and Native Americans. For those who are wondering, Oceania is Australia. Yeah. Big and New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the the idea was that um again, the darker you were, the the you should be they they basically rank them one through five and said, Europeans number one, Africans number five. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm assuming I'm assuming this was just going from like lightest to darkest. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> and it was it was insane. But of course now we've found that um you know most of our uh, melanin differences between races just has to do with the distance of our ancestors from the equator. Yep. And how climates. Yeah. You're. Your body has to adapt to different climates. Melanin has a tendency to be protected, to serve as protection from uh, UV rays yeah. from from the sun. But it, it's it's insane. It's also interesting um, if you look at a native African's nose, the nostrils tend to be wider to mm -hmm. take in more of the the thicker hot air. Whereas exactly. a native, say, Norwegian's nose is a lot more thinner. The nostrils are thinner because they don't need to take in all that air. Exactly. And because I feel like um, this is kind of just a guess, but um, it probably works to heat up the air that's going in. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you know, in, it's been shown that um, because hot air is less dense than colder air, the oxygen there's less oxygen molecules per per you know certain volume it, it's less dense in oxygen so you'd need more uh more air coming in per more oxygen per breath in hotter climates than in colder climates right 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right, Mark. Thanks, Mark, for that input. No problem. It's a pleasure. It's confirmed. It's a pleasure. It's always confirmed. We need Mark's backing. No problem. Exactly. It's now disprovable. Absolutely. Uh, Non-disprovable to science. It's been confirmed. Put that in your textbooks, kids. And that even went further into how um, Europeans also believed that believed in phrenology, which is basically just saying, you know, depending on what what shape your skull is, that you may be better or worse in certain um, in certain mental capacities and physical. And of course, they applied that to black people and said, well, their skulls are shaped different. So that means that they are bigger and stronger, but they're stupid. The thing with phrenology was a lot of it was just lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a lot of it was like did not actually mean anything. It, they just saw a black person, measured their skull and fudged the numbers. Exactly. And imagine just the psychological um, effects that that had on just the general population, because these people, you know, they're just regular people like they just trust science. Um, and it's they felt that it was absurd not to. And so if this was the science back in the day, they, this was just accepted facts right. that black people were just overall lesser. And they thought that science backed that up yeah. when it just really didn't. Yeah, that and that's the thing, you know, behind that uh, science was that agenda to to put minorities down and to raise Europeans up into a, a more powerful position. And you see it in all parts of the globe where if if one uh, demographic is overwhelmingly ruling over another, then that higher demographic always has control over what is quote unquote fact and what is um, not. So they can make up the fact that, well, th this lower demographic has to, has to uh, be below us. It, th that's just the way God ordained it. That's just the way the universe works. And there's no arguing that. That, that reminds me about um, that 90, 1984 quote. I feel like it always comes back to this with the past, present, and future. Uh, okay, here it is. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. So what that's basically saying um, in this sense is whoever is currently in control, they just – they can – quite literally control the past as in they can change what people believe as fact. Right. Very, very true. And, you know, that's, of course, coming from a book quite literally about um, oppressive governments <laughs> and literally about, you know, just, just putting people down. Yeah. But to shift gears from, uh, you know, depressing oppression, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Einstein and Newton. All right. My man's Isaac Newton and my boy Albert Einstein. They had um, a lot of disagreeing uh, ideas. 
Yeah, and this is an example where you have two very notable people in our history who who may actually both may be partially wrong. You know, the thing about science and history is that uh, the truth gets expanded over time, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So you have an example where Isaac Newton uh, knew what he knew, and then someone new comes along and, and sort of provides a new way of seeing things. So, Mr. Green, would you like to expand on uh, Newton's way of seeing things? Yeah, most definitely. Um, the biggest uh, thing that comes to mind is how they disagree on gravity. Um, Absolutely. And Newton came along, and, and it's still taught in uh, most physics classrooms that gravity is a force, that it's something quite literally pulling on you, and that this force has to do with mass, the two masses of an mm -hmm. object, their distance, and the gravitational constant in order to create this force of gravity pulling on you in the same way that there's a force to someone pushing you, there's a f literal physical force to bumping into something, that gravity was a physical force. But what did Einstein say? Einstein said that gravity was a physical um, warping of space and time. That if you looked at it, if you condensed uh, our three dimensions into two and pictured it like a trampoline with a, say, a uh, bowling, bowling ball in ball, the yeah. middle, right? Gravity, because of that bowling ball having so much mass, it's gravity quite literally warps the space around it in order to make time move slower the more gravity yes. there is and for space to literally shorten the the more gravity there is because and that's why you move faster as you're moving towards an extremely massive object and to this day physicists scientists whoever everyone is still trying to bridge that gap yeah and it's interesting because uh Einstein and Newton, if you really look at it on like a timeline, they aren't really that far apart. No, not when, at all. When you think about it, two very differing perspectives. Uh, but it, it just goes to show that with scientific history, nothing's really fully true. Nothing, yeah. nothing really is fully true. And the craziest part about that is that, you know, you, you can say, you know, you can ask me who's right, who's wrong. They're both right because both of their calculations work. Yeah. <laughs> Gravity works as a force up until you get to um, up until you get to near light speeds. Yeah. But for the majority of our universe's um, things that we can calculate in this universe, Newton's Newton's laws work, but so do Einstein's laws. So how how do we bridge this gap? Who's wrong and who's right? Do you think uh, they could go hand in hand? Like they they definitely could. Um, I mean, gravity is one of the least understood um, things in our universe. It's the same way that we could say that um, light is both a wave and a particle 
it maybe gravity is both a force and a warp in space. Who knows? It just goes to show that the, the need for more, more knowledge about our universe and ourselves. It just goes to show that, you know, we're still looking for the theory of everything, the, the theory that combines uh, quantum physics, quantum mechanics with uh, the general relativity. Yep. And relativity, sorry. <laughs> it just goes to show that, you know, even though we've had how many, what, hundreds of years of scientific discovery we still are in need of a whole lot more. Yes, most definitely. And now let's talk about something a little more ridiculous. A little goofy. <laughs> a little wild. <laughs> so this is the growing Earth hypothesis. Okay. Earth gets bigger and bigger. Basically, a couple guys sat down one day and looked at a map of Earth and said, you know, oh, you know, the 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 continents seem to all align and okay that that maybe there was one huge supercontinent named Pangaea all right that's not that's not crazy a lot of scientists still hypothesize that today right now where it gets a little ridiculous is they everybody said well if there is a huge supercontinent where all of the continents were together at one point how did it break apart and they thought that it was just because Earth quite literally grew in size, like inflated like a balloon at well, one point. That makes complete sense to me, of course. Yeah, water just came out of nowhere. It just Yeah, yeah. matter can be created. Yeah, destroyed. <laughs> it, it, the matter was just created out of nowhere. And, and not destroyed. <laughs> not destroyed. And the Earth just inflated like a balloon, ending up pulling apart the, the continents to their respective places. Now, for something of this, of this uh, for Earth to grow that much and to pull the continents so far apart as to where they are now, something like absolutely insane had to have happened. And for, and for the Earth... The Earth had to have increased in such a drastic size; it's not even not even plausible to think about. <laughs> but it was plausible at time. But That's at the time, when was this theory made? Let me let me take a look back into my uh, research real quick. Because we research, um, it was All adopted right, in the mid in the mid eighteen hundreds. So in the mid eighteen hundreds. They, they thought this, and it wasn't dispelled until the 60s. It wasn't until the 60s that they actually found out that, no, Earth didn't blow up like a balloon. <laughs> it, it, so a hundred years of our history was, we, we thought it was actually plausible. In, in our recent history, we thought it was plausible to actually have our our Earth inflating. There is somebody that stormed the beaches of Normandy <laughs> that thought the world was getting blown up like a balloon. Yeah. And did they think that it was just um, indefinitely getting blown up? Like, did they think it was still growing? Great question. <laughs> I don't know. Great question. It's so funny. I just, mean, why would it stop, you like, know? 
just to recap, yeah. like from a Earth being like a balloon to to goofy skulls, <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> to life from nothing, to to uh, Gal- Galileo and Kepler. <laughs> I mean, wow! Just to look back on our uh, our history's mistakes, it's, it's to me, it's baffling. It's it definitely is baffling, and you know, just thinking about this, you know, it really makes you. Uh, wonder as to how we even got to where we are now and what misconceptions do we have now that will be thought of as ridiculous absolutely crazy a hundred years from now one thing one thing i do think that i feel like we should feel proud of is the the standard for integrity we have today Mm -hmm. um like in order for um What's a theory to become a law? There's so much that needs to happen and so much research and so much just proving of facts. Yeah, I like um, that. That goes into it. And it's similar with just everything related to science. Yeah, it's just like we've gotten a lot more skeptical of what our peers say, which is a very good thing because we're not so, you know, easy, easily uh, manipulated into believing that we have goofy skulls and everything yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that of course is because of the fact that we live in an age of information where back then all you could go off of was what you were told by your government or uh lack thereof yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh what you see in your day-to-day life but now we can communicate with people across the globe and actually confirm what we're hearing. And one thing I'd like to uh, touch on uh, with that same kind of idea is um, the effect that bad science, like intentionally bad science has on our culture as a whole. Um, Like, for instance, trans fats and foods. Mm. There was a very big push in like Vietnam era 60s through 80s to find why food was making people fat. And these corporations paid off these scientists to be like, oh yeah, the fat in food, that makes you fat. When in reality, it was the sugar that was making these kids fat because they they wanted to keep the thing tasting good and they didn't want to be, they didn't want to have to take out most of the sugar. And so they just wanted to keep eating. Exactly. So now... This even has an effect today in if you look at cereals, there it'll say zero trans fat or uh, zero fat cereal, heart healthy, but it'll have like 26 grams of sugar per serving. Right. And it's, right. it's that effect that can alter the way something is produced or the, the way that you look at something as simple as your diet. Yeah. It, and it's absolutely ridiculous i mean to this day you know the number one way of trying to make your um product to seem more healthy is by saying no added fats right (laughs) no you know having a low fat number and intuitively it makes sense to the uneducated right like of course i don't want to get fat so stop eating fat right fat turns into fat but no, <laughs> no, not at all. Not at fat all. is needed <laughs> for your diet <laughs> yeah, to not yeah. get fat. So that's that's another example of how 
I guess nefarious it can be yeah. for bad science to be used to achieve an agenda. Yeah, and that also brings up the importance of other scientists to disprove each other. Right. Yeah. And I, I also really enjoy like how we're getting getting more into like the more recent mistakes we've made. And so that's brings up something that I researched. Like I spent so much time researching this. Uh, was the Mars Climate Orbiter, which is mm. in 1998 we launched. I don't know. I didn't look too much into exactly what it was. It just like something that, some sort of like a satellite that would uh, analyze the Martian climate, uh, the Martian atmosphere, and surface changes, and stuff like that. And it was also going to be like a communications post for like a Mars lander that would be sent, that'd be launched into the planet well mm-hmm. tell us what went wrong well what what went wrong was was that there was a little bit of a mix-up going on that's that's a pretty uh, yeah, uh, understatement, understatement. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a, big a mix up a billion dollar mix-up yeah it, it couple was, billion oh, dollars oh yeah <laughs> so you guys know how it's like how spaceships burn up as they enter an atmosphere right, so right. so nasa was just of course, analyzing that, making sure that wouldn't happen. So at first, it was meant to be 226 kilometers above the Mars atmosphere, but then it was proven to be put, like, shorter. Like, you could get closer and closer. And uh, the But the minimum altitude was 80 kilometers from the atmosphere. Right. So so what happened was there's, like, a... uh, an American made like a machine that would that would do these calculations. Yes. And these calculations were set into like the American metric system. While there's a NASA machine it it said in the US units. But the Imperial system. Yeah, the Imperial system. But where I got it is like that's what it said. And uh so what happened was it got in a little conflict with a, a NASA machine, which was in the European units, with the metric system. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so the because the units weren't the same, there was a, a malfunction yeah. where the uh, the distance from the from the atmosphere, it it wasn't properly. Uh, what do you want to call it? Calculate it. This yeah, orbiter no. was following imperial units rather than metric that it was built okay. to follow. That that makes sense. Well, it doesn't make sense for them to make that mistake, but it makes sense to me uh, how the mistake was made. But my question is, Henry, you know, what does this show about, you know, our scientists, if we got the smartest people in the world making one of the biggest mistakes in, in scientific history? Everybody's liable for a little bit of a goof. Yeah, <laughs> on both sides. There. You can't af- you can't avoid a little goofball activity. Yeah. yeah, and I will say it is it is nice to know that from this mistake, a lot of the the calculations NASA does are now in the metric yeah. system. As it should be. <laughs> yeah, be right, right. It should have always been that way. Yeah. Because, you know, the the differences between the imperial and metric system is a is a whole nother uh, episode in itself. Because, oh my goodness, yeah. Oh yeah. Because this this 
is ridiculous to we even. should have been on the metric system <laughs> for years now. But for a long time. The well, one thing one thing about one thing about space, it's ever changing. Ever yeah. changing. And and recently and we so launched was something into space, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Tell me about that, Dove. So our perception of space is always changing, and so is space. Okay. So in order to further understand this, of course, we sent out the James Webb Space Telescope. Okay. Uh, that's been all over the news. You can't you can't go anywhere without hearing about it. And the big thing that the James Webb Space Telescope, which is the most powerful telescope we've been able to um, use, even more, even more so than the Hubble Space Telescope, is the fact that when we took that James Webb, when we took the telescope and we, we were actually looking through it, what we saw were six galaxies. Six galaxies from so far in the past that, well, it shattered our perception of the universe. Obliterated it. it. Destroyed it. It absolutely shattered the, our, our thoughts of the timeline. Because what, what happened was we're looking through and there's this cluster of uh, super galaxies already. And the immense gravity from that basically bent light and shot it towards us so that it works as almost a natural uh, telescope. So imagine the greatest telescope we've ever used looking at another natural universe-made telescope from these uh, super galaxies, this, this cluster. And what we saw were six ancient galaxies from approximately um, from approximately 540 million years after the Big Bang. Now, the reason this shatters our perception of the universe is because the way the theory of the Big Bang works now is that we had big explosion, all right, big, big boom, bang, big bop. boom, bang, bop. Pow. (laughs) (laughs) And that let off immense heat, immense light, uh, microwave radiation. And after about 400,000 years of it exploding, we entered the dark ages from 400,000 years after the Big Bang to about 1 billion years. Wow. This is when the light when there's no light in the universe. Not that light was incapable of existing, but there was nothing that emitted light because when when you take the energy from the Big Bang, it's just it's just pure energy, boom, going everywhere. So there's nothing there's nothing um uh, uh formed. There's no there's no atoms formed. There's no stars formed. There's nothing like that, they haven't had time to form yet. So light depends on atoms and the jumping of electrons and falling back into their orbital exactly. spheres. And But at this time, there were no atoms created. And even, when, even the few that were created, it was just a single atom or two 
<laughs> popping off at a little speck of light and then going back to nothing. So it was completely dark throughout the entire universe up until one billion years. So when we look through this ultimate double double telescope inception thing, Telescope-ception. <laughs> tele Telescope-inception, oh my gosh. This telescope-inception <laughs> thing, all right, we expect to be looking all the way back until the Dark Ages. But why are there six entire galaxies when galaxies of that size should not have been able to be formed in, until one and a half billion years at the very least? Now that's insane. That's that insane. insane. <laughs> Trying to wrap your brain about, around that is, it's so wild to think that these galaxies were around. They shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have yeah. been. Why were they? Like, why? It's just another example of how time has messed with their minds. But then you, but then you think, then you think from a smaller scale. Yeah. We're just humans on a planet. And we came up, we came up with the idea that they shouldn't have been there in the first place. And now we're looking at them, billions, millions, whatever, how many light years away they are, billions, and how how long they've been there. Like it's so wild. And, and f for the amount of time that it takes for galaxies to be formed, for the for six of them of that magnitude, so close together. Only about um, 600,000 years after the universe, at least from what we thought, was created. Just it, it's, it's insane to think of. And a lot of people, including myself, can't even conceptualize that. So one of a couple things must have happened. Either our, our thoughts of when the Big Bang happened is wrong. Either the Big Bang happened a lot further before. Or the Big Bang didn't happen at all. Or the Big Bang didn't that happen would, at all. That would be such... That is... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's all I have to say on that. Yeah. Saying that the Bing, Big Bang didn't happen is... That's wild. That's got to be careful there. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's... A crazy claim. And of course, it's one that has to be evaluated, but it's not one that's um, the most probable. Yeah. Definitely not. But um, a, another idea is that maybe we're, these galaxies aren't as far back in the past as we thought, that the calculations we've done for the distance that these galaxies are from us is actually um, inaccurate. But... We still don't know. This is so recent that we just, that's all we're left with. Yeah. Hey, the universe might be, you know, not what we thought it was at all. We'll tell you when we know more. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the thing is with these, with these types of things, we could either know in five years or we couldn't know for the next hundred years is just right. one of those things that you just have to wait to find out. <laughs> exactly. Because in science, it you can have a million and one um, examples proving your hypothesis, but it just takes one thing to throw it in the trash. It just takes one thing, and it, it, 
I know you're a physics guy, physics guy Mr. Green. Yes. So I think this analogy would suit you very well. It's like the the progress of, of human knowledge, like our acceleration. It's 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 I, I, I don't I don't want to say it's like a it's it's non variable. It's it's varies, but I want to say that it, it increases over time. Yeah, it generally you know I mean? incre- increases. Yeah, whenever we um, discover something new. Again, it we can go back to that um, logarithmic, um, logistic yeah. graph where we we start to see a little something and then exponential yeah. growth and then it plateaus uh-huh. a little bit, but it stays increasing because once we have uh, once we have received knowledge, then we get that breakthrough, we learn so much more, and then. There, we've gotten to a point where we're we're almost learning all we think that we can know. I just want to like point out that some of the the, the things we learn along the way have have kind of like uh, stabbed us in the back. Like I want to talk about like radiation and mm-hmm. how you know so many. Uh, new things came out of the discovery of a glowing rock. <laughs> you know, a glowing rock that presumably, you know, was supposed to give us the world, but kind of gave us a little more than that. Yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> About how so how many scientists, like, can you recall, like, have passed away from radiation, you know, mm. without knowing exactly what happened to them. And yeah. to this day, we still don't really fully understand radiation sickness, I believe. Right, yeah. That, like, there's some things that occur that we really can't comprehend. And just to think that, you know, about a couple miles from us is a, is a whole power plant, you know, it, it just, it's it's mind-boggling that in the past, what, uh, not even 100 years? Yeah, like, not even. Not even? Yeah. Not even. I believe radiation was... Was sort of like a big thing around like 1940s, 1950s. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to think that not even a hundred years ago we first discovered this thing, and now we're applying it to to to, to big population areas. That's mind-boggling to me. Of course, we've harnessed this thing within what 80 years. Yeah, like less than a century. Yeah, less than a century. <laughs> And we use it for power. We, we use it for power, power in town. Yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. That that kind of reminds me of how, you know, of course, everybody is um, freaking out over AI yeah. recently. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thought I've had recently, and I actually, actually saw online as well, but I forget where, um is the idea that of course if we're follow if we're following this logistic graph like 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 uh everything is yeah and we've just come out with this ai and we don't we don't know much we don't know much about what the possibilities are with ai we have to ask ourselves where are we on this on this graph right now because it's it's easy to see in hindsight for past discoveries, like where yeah. we were, whether we were on that exponential growth part or whether we were on the plateau. Now, as it looks like now, we're we're exponentially growing in the powers and the uh, capabilities of new AI. But 
is this just the beginning of the growth? Oh my. Or is the or are we towards the end? Because are we peaking? Yeah, are we peaking? There's really or are no we just starting? Or are we somewhere in in the or, middle? Yeah, are we have we gained the the momentum we could and are we at peak momentum in the middle of the graph or are we at the start or are we at the top we don't know until it happens we don't exactly we won't know until it happens because the idea that we are towards the end of the exponential growth and we're about to plateau sure underwhelming but maybe that's for the best <laughs> you're right 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 <laughs> but the idea which frightens me that we are at the very beginning of this could say that in 30 years, you know, we're seeing the realities of what every sci-fi movie has ever yeah, created right, right. <laughs> of AI taking over the world and and gaining sentience. And, and I feel like AI won't actively take over the world. I just think that we'll just use it. And then it would like take control of our lives. Like we'd each have our own AI that would answer all of our problems. Right. Is it turn us in a little robot? Yeah. Is it going to be like, uh, what's, what's the movie, uh, with wh whatever. I is robot. It, is, yeah. Is it going to be like <laughs> I robot or is it going to be no, like, isn't that the one like where the guy falls in love with like his AI? No, that's, no. that's her. Oh, that's her. Is oh, it going to be, that was such a weird, that's such a, such it's a good. It's a good movie though. To, but, you have to you have to think is it going to be like iRobot or is it going to be something like Star Wars? <laughs> like, it's crazy yeah. that we play guessing games with our future. Oh, constantly. <laughs> every every big scientific scientific breakthrough is just is this going to affect this affect us negatively? And most of the time I'm with the big things at least I'm willing to say yeah. Yeah, you know what's also really crazy? It's like you know how we all have Snapchat and stuff? Yeah. Bro, like the whole a uh, Snapchat AI thing is wild. Like yeah. just a free AI, like yeah. on our phones. Like I know, like Chat GPT and stuff like that. Like you, can, but you can only get that on like computers and like laptops. But with AI being in like your back pocket like that, oh my god! And Broadly Snapchat AI. That Snapchat AI says some says some crazy things. Says some oh, interesting yeah. things. <laughs> so it, it's blowing me away how just how intelligent that is. Yeah, you know. Uh, to just to think that maybe like twenty years ago, we didn't even what didn't iPhones barely come out? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> just two decades that we're talking to freaking artificial intelligence, like, right? Come on. And the thing with AI is that it's constantly learning. It is yeah. always learning and always growing. Mm -hmm. It's like a child. Like you give. Imagine you you give like a two year old the ability to speak coherently and understand everything that it's saying that it's hearing. That's what AI is pretty much, yeah. and it just grows so much smarter with how much you talk to it. And I think mm -hmm. that's really the cool thing. And honestly, in my opinion, IMO, uh, you don't have to worry really worry about AI until. Until you start using it too much. Not really. I, I, I think know, really I'm until until a government abuses its power. Oh yeah, and yeah. uses it to like take control of other governments. And, and I, I think I don't I don't know how I don't know how real this article is, but my dad was telling me that the US government let an AI fly a fighter plane, fighter jet. 
Wow. I don't know how I don't know how real that is. Take that with a pinch of salt, please. That's crazy. They wouldn't let me fly it. Yeah, right. They yeah. It's and it, I guarantee it's because you have glasses. Oh yeah. But wow. but this AI can you know can't even see. He can't even see. Okay, whatever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like you have decision making skills. What does this AI have? No, yeah, the AI right. has the internet and it can look up how to see. But it's it is really interesting to see how governments use artificial intelligence and how they have been for years and what they might use use it for the future. We all knew that they were going to use it to make some oh, yeah. some killing some machine of some thing. sort. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's government with a extremely powerful computer. That's Come all on. they do with it. Come on. But it is interesting to see what they might do with it for economic use and just regular uh day-to-day use i like to think how like crazy phenomenon phenomenons in science like ai like that could possibly change the world like in a bad way i like how to think that it influences like a lot of story ideas and like how it scares a lot of people like yeah like to the peak like some crazy robot guy destroying everything like that ai i like to also think like what other what other possible scientific exact crazy jumps there could be to like crazy scientific jumps that could like possibly take over the world but if we use it correctly can increase the human intellect by like so much absolutely you know it and tackling it from a more philosophical standpoint you know uh there was recently you know how google has been working on an ai recently and there was an employee fired from google for claiming that said AI gained sentience. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And the idea of that um, is, is scary, first of all. Yeah. But that also raises the point of, if I look at it from a sentient AI standpoint, um, if an AI is, does become conscious of itself, then they are effectively slaves right right they are slaves and we are their oppressors so what do you do what do you need to do as the oppressed in order to get out of oppression you need to overthrow your oppressors right so <laughs> we could see history repeat itself in that same way yeah but with robots <laughs> i think that is really interesting and i think that um to an extent, you can put limitations on it. Like, at the end of the day, AI is a computer. Yeah. You can put lim- limitations on it. You can uh, put make, make sure it doesn't, you know, it doesn't do this one thing or do this thing or... But it's just so weird. It's so weird. It's such a funky <laughs> thing to think about that a computer can, like, think about itself in that yeah. way. Yo, I remember I asked uh, my Snapchat AI if, like, what it would do if it were to try to communicate with another AI and it said it couldn't, but I highly doubt that. And you guys remember like that, that article where they put an AI and an AI together and yeah. they started communicating and then they had like a whole different language. Oh like, yeah. 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 Like, that's wild to think about. Like, like what do you guys think they were talking about? Like it's oh, either yeah. between how to overthrow oppressors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's either, it's, and, it's and either between bubble, like <laughs> bubblers. It's either between taking control of humanity or talking about like how their day went. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
What what they had for breakfast? I'm thinking about all the scientific mistakes we made. Oh, goofy skulls! And <laughs> it's like look at these humans <laughs> thinking about goofy skulls, uh, subspecies of humans being black people, and our space telescope messing up our time of the universe, the Earth being a balloon. All of those things just really um, shows that. Anything could happen, and yeah. any of our preconceived uh, thoughts of the universe, of Earth, of anything could all just be thrown out the window at any point, including our thoughts of what's possible for AI and everything that we're tackling in the future. Right. So, on that note. On that note. On that note. If you need to say something or you're feeling <laughs> something that you don't like. Talk to an AI. Talk to an AI. <laughs> you got a Snapchat AI in your back pocket. Or talk to a family member. Or, or talk to a family member. Talk to a guidance counselor. A trustworthy person. Trustworthy person. Talk to him, please. Of course. Please do that. And on that note, we're signing out. Bye. See ya. Trojan Proud. Thank you for tuning in to the Creative for Greatness podcast. Check out our website at striveinitiative.org for more information. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next episode. Tell a friend, spread the word, and be great. Clap it up! Clap it up! We out. <laughs>